In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. The parable of the prodigal son is about membership in the people of God. Who is a part of God's people and who is not. Jesus told this parable in response to criticism. Certain scribes and Pharisees said to him, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And in response to this criticism in the 15th chapter of Luke's Gospel, Jesus told three parables. He told the parable of the lost sheep. He told the parable of the woman with a lost coin. And then he told the parable of the prodigal son. The first two of these parables focus on God's concern for the lost, as does the parable of the prodigal son. But the parable of the prodigal son goes beyond that and addresses the theme of membership in God's people. Being a part of God's people is represented in the parable by being in the Father's house. And there are two movements away from the Father's house in the parable, and thus away from the covenant community. The first movement away is by the prodigal son, who gathers his goods and goes to a far country, therefore leaving his father's house and the community. The second movement away is by the older son, who refuses to come into his father's house after he discovers that his father is having a party in honor of the returning son. At the end of the parable, God's people, represented by the father and those in his house, look different than they did at the beginning of the parable. Change in the constituency of God's people is a central New Testament theme. Reflected in other stories Jesus told, like the parable of the wicked tenants. It also calls to mind the parable of the laborers in the vineyard, where the 11th hour laborer, that is the person who had recently repented, receives the same wage as the person who worked all day, that is, the observant Jew who had been faithful for his entire life. The parable of the prodigal son has a kind of edge to it because the older son ends up being excluded from God's people. But it is a self-imposed exclusion. He refuses to come in, and the parable leaves it as a kind of open question as to whether he ever responds to his father's invitation to come in and join the party. Both the prodigal and the older son fall into a state of sin that separates them from God. The prodigal said, give me my inheritance. The older son said, in essence, I am better than him. Why does he get a fatted calf? Both of these sins are variant forms of pride. The gluttony and immorality of the prodigal are rooted in the prideful presumption that I have a right to do what I will with that which God has given me. 
This is how even sins of the flesh are at root prideful. We take what God has given us, our life, our bodies, our appetites, and we say to God, I don't have to use these the way you want. I can do whatever I want with them. The pride of the older son is rooted in the presumption that he was better than his brother and entitled to more. He was unhappy, this is the particularly prideful part, about his father's goodness to his brother. The older brother failed to understand the generosity of God. God was good to both brothers. And God's goodness to the one brother did not detract from God's goodness to the other brother. God's goodness is not a zero-sum game. This is a point that we must continually re-emphasize as Christians. The good that God gives to you does not take away from the good that God gives to another, nor does it compete with it. We can all have the fullness of the good that God has intended for each of us. His goodness is shown to the prodigal in his desire to have him back in the family and to celebrate his return. The older son experienced God's goodness in the blessings he continually enjoyed as a long-term member of his father's house. But it seems that the older son did not really appreciate these blessings and the nature of them. The tone of his comments, Lo, these many years have I served you, and you never gave me a party, suggest that his service to the Father was grudging and joyless. And this is the danger of a religious practice that is not rooted in God's grace. Religion without grace comes to be focused on my works and how my religious practice puts me just a little further up God's curve than that other person is not quite doing what I'm doing. Everything the older son enjoyed as a faithful son was a gift. Every bit as much as the grace of God's forgiveness to the prodigal was a gift. He did not merit anything. It was the father's good pleasure to give it to him. But he fell into the trap of comparison, which leads to pride, which leads to a sense of entitlement, which leads to a lack of generosity, and then to unhappiness and to grumbling. If you have been more or less faithful to the commandments of God, if you have avoided the open and obvious sins of prodigal living, this is a blessing and a gift from God. You have been saved from much emotional and spiritual turmoil. You have been saved from a greater experience of guilt, shame, and fear. Inasmuch as the law of God written in your heart by the Holy Spirit has kept you from evil, you have been blessed. You should rejoice and celebrate this gift. It is 
a grace and a gift every bit as much as is the forgiveness you receive from God when you return and repent. And you should want to share that gift with others. <clears throat> this attitude of generosity is a reflection of God's Trinitarian love. It's a reflection of God's nature. Why did God give us life at all? Why did God give us a world to live in? Because God is love, and as love, he can do nothing but love. In the beginning, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit possessed eternal, unbounded love. And they shared it with us in the act of creation and in the gift of life. And when we sin, they shared with us again in the gift of forgiveness and in the gift of new creation. And God shares his love with us again and again and again through the experience of forgiveness, the privilege of communion with God and each other, the ability to grow in grace and in the hope of resurrection and life in the world to come. Are you happy about these things? Do they fill you with joy? Do you want to share them with other people? To experience God's love and grace means that we will want to share it with others. Those who've experienced God's love become lovers of others because the experience is contagious. And if we do not want to share God's love, this reveals that we do not really know it. The sin of the older brother is a characteristic temptation for traditionalists. It is tempting for those of us who have held on to the faith to think that we are just a little bit better than others who perhaps have not. We have not fallen into heresy and sin like them. The truth is both the faith we hold and our ability to practice it are gifts from God. And we should give thanks continually. And we should continually celebrate in thanksgiving because we are possessors of these gifts. And we must be generous. If we are not generous with what we have received, if we do not desire to share it with others, this reveals we don't really understand God's grace. There is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. There is a continuous feast to celebrate the return of sinners to the Father. If you don't understand that joy and do not participate in that feast, you need to repent and come back into the house. You're missing a really good party. In the name of the Father and of the Son.